0: Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here, if you don't already know that. And I want to welcome you to Element Church this morning as we are in week two of our series called Imago Dei, which is fancy, it's Latin, meaning image of God. And, and what we're doing in this series is talking about what it means to be created in the image of God and then also how that applies to us. Um, rather than just knowing it, head knowledge, being aware of it, Uh, What does it practically mean for us uh, on a daily basis? And so if you were with us last week, uh, we opened up with Genesis chapter 1, which is probably one of the easiest scriptures to find since it's on page 1. Um, and so even if you aren't familiar with your Bible, it kind of intimidates you when we talk about a passage of Scripture and you're not sure how to find it or where to go. Uh, first of all, there's no shame in ever using your table of contents if you need to in this room. Um, we all get there from time to time. But this one is pretty easy to find, um, and, and it's really easy because it's on the screen. Um, and so let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Uh, this is kind of the foundation, the framework For this whole series that we're doing. And so starting in verse 24, it says this, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So this uh, is sort of a foundational verse. And where we read in verse 26 that God said, let us make man in our image, um, that's where the Imago Dei comes from, the image of God, that you and I and all humans are created in the image of God. So last week, if you were here with us, we talked a little bit about maybe some of what that means, that because we were created in the image of God, uh, that we're different than all the rest of creation. That one of the things that's different is that you and I have a unique and special relationship with our Creator, with the Lord, that is unlike any other um, being creature that was created. That not only do we have a different relationship with the Lord, we have a different relationship with the rest of creation. That it's only you and I who bear responsibility when it comes to how we treat the earth, how we treat other animals, that we have a responsibility that we don't place on lions, for example, Right? We don't expect them to uphold certain moral standards and how they treat one another or the gazelle. Right, We feel that sense of responsibility that no other creature faces. And then not only that, but our relationship with one another is different. And so we spent last weekend, specifically on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, um, talking about how um, there is a beauty in diversity, that no, we're not all the same. We don't look all the same. We don't come from the same backgrounds, but rather than hiding from it, that is something that should be celebrated because God does powerful things in and through diversity. And that one day in heaven, we will stand shoulder to shoulder with people from all languages, all communities, all countries, all backgrounds, all cultures, all ethnicities of all different skin colors, and we will worship the Creator together. And our heart and our prayer is that not only will it happen in heaven, which it will, but we want it to happen in this room. That we want it to happen now. And that we are, because of what the Bible teaches us, um, going to act differently. Because all of us have been equally created in the image of God, it changes how we act. It changes how we live. And that of any group of people in the world, we should be leading the charge in celebrating the differences between races, but also fighting for and bringing about racial reconciliation. So that's what we talked about this week, excuse me, last week. This week, um, we're going to take another spin in talking about what, what are the implications that all of us bear the image of God. And if you would like to, you can open up your Bibles to Psalm 139, or it's going to be on the screen for you as well. So let me read this. For you, this is King David um, praying to God, for you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So if you have your worship guide, you can see the schedule. You may have already known where we were going today, and maybe you didn't. And I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag so we can all kind of take a deep breath and move forward. Um, Today, we're talking about the sanctity of life and specifically about abortion. Because As an implication of the image of God, if we believe that all people are created in God's image, then that has not only a bearing on the people who we live next to, who we work next to, but on all human beings, all those who have been created. Um, And so that's where we're going today. Now, before we get any further, there's two groups of people in this room, okay? There are group number one and those of you uh, who are already against abortion, And here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to assume that this message isn't for you, that just because you and I already agree um, that there's nothing here for you, uh, and do not assume that just because you haven't had one or paid for one or pressured someone to have one that you're not guilty. So before we get started, don't make assumptions. If you're on the other side... And there are people in this room who who will be for abortion or in support, and I don't think anyone's for it, but pro-choice, for the option to be available. Don't write me off as you assume that you know what I'm going to say and why I'm going to say it, or that I represent every other fool on TV or running for office. But we're going to look at what God says. We're going to look at some practical, logical thoughts, And then we're going to end with why does this matter and how should we react? How should we respond? How should we um, get involved or do something based on what the Bible teaches? So regardless of where you stand in this room today, let's move forward together with an open mind and see what God has to say and why he has to say it. Um, This is not a political message. Okay, I'm not a very political man. I have zero faith in any party. All right. Um, all the major parties are self-serving and they really do not care about you or I. Now, I am involved. I participate. I vote. And I do it because I believe it's a civil duty in which other men and women have believed so strongly in that that they were willing to give their life so that I could have the opportunity. And I don't take that lightly. So I do participate. But I have zero faith in either party. We have people sitting in this room. I don't know how most of you voted. I know how a few of you did. We have people sitting in this room who voted for Hillary and believe that she was the best option for our country. We have people sitting in this room right now who voted for Trump, who believed he was the best option for this country, and probably a lot of people in the middle. But we can all stand shoulder to shoulder today and worship the actual true king of the universe. And that's what we celebrate, and that's why we're really here. So this is not about policy, politics, uh, and partisanship. This is about God's truth and what he teaches us. And if that informs your politics, so be it. But this is not a political message in any way. And we don't want to just become homogenous. We talked about it last week. Um, that's not the solution. All right. We want to be diverse in a lot of different ways as we stand shoulder to shoulder to worship. Um, so we're going to move forward, and, I, and I'm going to take a couple approaches. I'm going to hit a few points, and I'm going to really just try to, try to land on how does this impact our world um, today? What, what do we do with it? Um, and I want to look at two scriptures mainly as I make one major point, um, and, and I'm going to try to make some points that I think are relevant for today and our culture and, and relevant for the message that we're given um, and maybe can answer some questions that you wrestle with or have wondered. Um, psalm fifty-eight, three. This is going to be on the screen for us. It says this: "The wicked are estranged from the room, womb; and they go astray from birth, speaking lies." Now that seems like a strange um, verse to 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 go for when we're when we're talking about pro life. But but here's here's why I, I'm doing this. First of all, here's what the this psalm is saying. Okay. Um, we know that, that babies, when they're born, immediately coming out of the womb, they're not saying lies because they can't talk, but here's what this scripture is saying is, don't be fooled by their cuteness, okay? Like, if you have kids, that makes sense, right? Now, listen, my wife and I are human, okay, which means we're both imperfect, which means sometimes in the young household, it's a little tense, okay, because we're normal people. Um, we've had some arguments, uh now we fight differently naturally um we both you know I have the tendency when it gets tense I'm like forget it I shell up and close off and she's the opposite right when it gets tense her voice wants to go up a couple levels and octaves right we just fight differently all right but let me tell you what I've never done okay I've never looked at my wife screamed at her and then bit her (laughs) so I'm telling you this right My children have not learned that in their home environment. There's something in their hearts that naturally draws them towards, uh, I can't get what I want, violence must be the answer. All right? Uh, We don't have to teach our children these things. As soon as they're able to speak, they're capable and willing and eager to lie. As soon as they can understand the difference from right and wrong, they under, not only do they understand it, but they'll do what they want and then hide when they know it's, it's wrong. These things don't have to be taught. Now, environment shapes, environment has great influence. I, I'm not denying that, but I'm saying that there's something within our hearts that's gone awry, and, and the Bible teaches us That it wasn't something we learned, we picked up from our parents, we picked up from our environment, but that it's something that's inside of us. Psalm 51, 5, David says this, Behold, I was brought forth from iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, if you don't know David's story, you might go, oh, so maybe his mother, you know, she was one of those types, and maybe she made some major mistakes, and that's how she got pregnant. No, 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 no. David's the last, the youngest of a lot of brothers. So mom and dad were married, they had followed the rules. This is not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is that there's a sin problem that has affected the image of God that we bear so that we struggle and have to grow into maturity, into bearing it like we're supposed to. But what I want to speak to more than anything is that not only would we say life begins at conception, but even our moral and spiritual development begins long before we have the ability to show it through our actions or our words. Our personhood, our moral cap- capabilities, our, our soul are there long before you can experiment with it or test it or find it through words or actions. And so even though this is talking about sin and how we've gone astray, what it shows us is that there's something deeper at work, that even as a child's being formed in the womb, there are spiritual realities taking place as well. And so a lot of times the question really starts to become, okay, at what point does the soul begin, right? most people in our community and in our culture who are pro-choice are not comfortable with the idea of killing a human they're just so com- they're comfortable taking apart a group of cells uh, anybody who would get to the place of saying this is a human being with a soul that's when it becomes now we're uncomfortable but as long as we can just put it into the category if it's just a group of cells then it takes the sting away. What the Bible teaches is that there are spiritual realities at work in the womb. That it's not just a matter of, uh, of a group of cells, but it's a group of cells with the soul in which sin is already at work and God is already at work. Now, for a long time, um, I think Christians and pro-life people have put their hope in science, believing that one day, science would win the way, that science would win the day, that if we could just get to a place where we knew enough, we had enough information, uh, that that would ultimately solve the problem, right? By six weeks, um, we now know that the heart is beating, not just beating, but in its regular rhythm, that it will continue to beat in and obviously, we know that heart cha- that rhythm changes over time, but it's already have has an established rhythm. There's measurable brain waves. The kidneys are fully formed and functioning. And at six weeks, the fetus feels and responds to pain. So, if for whatever reason a test needed to be performed um, and a little prick on the foot had to happen um, by six weeks, that fetus not only feels it but responds to the pain. At seven weeks, a fetus has the ability to smell. At eight weeks, all organs are in pla- place, and they already are demonstrating either right or left hand dominance. At nine weeks, they're sucking their thumb. At ten weeks, they have identifiable unique fingerprints. The reason I bring that up is the argument used to be, when is it become a human life? That's what the argument used to be you know, is six weeks, is that when it's considered a human life? Is it eight weeks? Is it 10 weeks? Is it 20 weeks? That was the argument we used to make and used that conversation we used to have. And I think pro-life people used to have this hope that science would win the day. As long as science could prove that life begins earlier and earlier and earlier, then we could kind of start pushing back against certain stages of, of abortion and we could just take steady steps. But notice what has happened is the conversation has shifted no longer in our culture society is the conversation ever about when is it human when was the last time you heard anyone bring that up what's the question now whose life is more valuable the mother or the baby that that's the question being asked now not when does it become human let me tell you something the moment a society begins asking that question whose life is more valuable we are in a very dangerous place when we begin asking those kind of questions and then giving certain people the authority to answer it and and carry out the implications of that can you think of any other time in human history where we've dis- we've asked that question who's hu- who what human life is more valuable than others do we not look back on every one of those periods with shame and embarrassment and disgust as a society? When we look back and we see other people who have, who have tried to make a distinction, which human is more valuable? That's not a place that we as a society want to be, that we try to make those decisions about who's most valuable. And we look back on periods when that was taking place with shame. And I pray that one day, our, our, our society will look back on this time frame and wonder how in the world could we have ever let it happen. The reason I hope that is because that would be an indication that it stopped at some point. You know how many people Stalin killed? How many of his own people? 40 million. How many did Hitler kill? Thirty. Since 1973, since Roe v. Wade, the U.S. has aborted more than 60 million. In 2016, we averaged 2,500 a day. Because we've got to the place where we ask this question, whose life is more valuable? Science isn't going to win the day. And logic isn't going to win the day. It's against international law to execute a pregnant woman. Um, according to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, Article 6.5, the reason it's illegal to execute a pregnant woman is because the fetus, as, as this international law defines, is a distinct human being who cannot be punished for the crimes of the mother. If you go out on a walk today, uh, sometimes, I, when I used to run, I don't run much anymore. Uh, so if you head uh, west on 6th, just past the gas station, um, you come to like this little old rodeo arena. Have you ever seen it on the right side, the north side of the road? And You can park there, and there's a trail that you can run. It's a pretty cool little trail. Um, and there's there's a creek back there, and... and uh, it's a fun little just place to take the kids and play around. But they have this big sign that you can only go so far. Because uh, between like, I think it's November 1st and August 1st. I mean, it's like 10 of the 12 months. You can only go so far and then you're permitted, you're prohibited because it's a bald eagle nesting s- center. And so you're not even allowed to go over there just because they don't want you to disturb the birds. Do you know if you go on a nature walk and you see some bald eagle eggs and you're thinking this would be a cool selfie Facebook, Instagram, they would love this stuff. If you touch that egg, you'll be fined and imprisoned. If you touch a baby sea turtle egg, you will be fined and imprisoned. If a pregnant woman gets in her car and is hit at the negligence of someone else, Almost all states, Colorado is not one of them, but almost all states in our country um, have fetal homicide laws that if if the wreck causes the the baby uh, to not survive, that the individual who caused the wreck can be charged with murder. I want you to think about this for a minute. We have declared it illegal to execute a pregnant woman because you can't punish that human being for the crimes of the mother. We have declared that touching a bald eagle egg or a baby sea turtle egg will put you in prison. And we're willing to charge people with murder if their negligence causes the death of a fetus. But if that woman doesn't get in a car wreck and she just drives straight to the abortion clinic, we'll, our culture will celebrate her decision to terminate that pregnancy. Science is not going to win the day for us. Logic will not win the day for us. Those are not going to be our solutions because this is a bigger issue. So there are some common objections. Um when, when this issue is discussed and I, I think it only makes sense that we at least address them and talk about them. One of the issues that is often brought up is a woman's right to do what she chooses with her body. I have two responses to that. Number one is there is no other arena of society where we believe that to be true. Not one. You don't believe me? walk home naked today and see what happens. See if the government has something to say about what you do with your body. Prostitution is illegal. The government has without a doubt declared what you can and cannot do with your body. There are certain substances that if you choose to put in your body, you will go to prison for. There is no other arena in society where we say, oh, you have no right to tell me what to do with my body. We don't apply that in any other area. So that's my first response is, a woman's right to choose to do with her body is, it's indiscriminate application because we wouldn't argue for that in other arenas. We're perfectly comfortable with the government and society telling men and women, there are certain things you can do, there are certain things you cannot do. And number two is, that fetus is in your body, but it is not your body. At the moment that the sperm and egg come together, a brand new, completely unique DNA is formed. Completely distinct from the mother. Everything about the mother, her hair, her fingernails, her blood, her skin, her organs, her heart, all share the exact same genetic code. That fetus does not share that genetic code. Many fetuses don't even share the same blood type as the mother. Do you know that at the moment of fertilization of the egg, until that zygote plants into the uterine wall, that it it grows and develops and survives on its own newly created energy from the multiplying cells and, and that new genetic code. So until implantation happens... That zygote doesn't even get sustenance from the mother. So this idea that you can do whatever you want with your body, even if we gave that permission away and said okay, that baby is not your body, not the mother's body. Maybe in it, but it's very distinct from it. And then uh, another... Common objection or issue is what about rape and incest? First of all, let's let's say that I think we all are on the same page that rape is as an evil and as of an act as I can fathom. And not only do we in a society do we personally and morally, but the Bible even defends the swiftest and the strictest punishment possible on people who would be guilty of that sin. It is a terrible act, one that is hard to even fathom, and because of the statistics, I'm sure some of the women in this room have been subject to it or something very similar to it, and I can't fathom the atrocity that that is in in your life. But abortion doesn't remove the atrocity. What's needed most after a woman's rape? Love, support, care, justice, healing, support, restoration. Abortion doesn't bring restoration. Abortion doesn't bring healing. Abortion doesn't bring love. Abortion doesn't bring justice. Abortion doesn't bring encouragement and support. So if it doesn't bring what's needed most, why would we consider it an answer? Ultimately, I don't think this is about women's rights at all. And this isn't an attack on women. This is an attack on all of us. This is about... Exalting the self-autonomous person in a throwaway culture. Here's what I mean. We are a throwaway culture. Anybody in here wearing pants that you sewed a a patch into yourself? No. Why? You get a hole, you throw them away. Or you pay extra money to buy them with holes, and then when it gets a new hole, you throw it away. Throwaway, upgrade. Throwaway, upgrade. Upgrade. Throw away. Upgrade. Doesn't work right. Throw it away. Upgrade it. Not what I wanted. Throw away. Upgrade. That's our culture. You want me to prove it? Devote your professional life to fixing old things. You'll get your own reality show. Things break. You make them new using creativity and inventiveness. You're cool, you're unique, you get your own show. Do you know what our grandparents called that? Life. It breaks, you fix it. You don't know how to fix it, you figure out how to fix it, right? Because we live in a throwaway culture, and we also live in a culture that loves to exalt the autonomous self. And when those two ideas collide, you get abortion on demand. Don't, the, the, Autonomous self is I want what I want and I want want it when I want it and I want it how I want it. Forget sacrifice, forget hurting, forget the tough long road. I want what I want and I want it when I want it. That's what this is really about. And men are as equally guilty in every aspect of life as this as women. We don't get a pass today we don't get a pass because we're just as guilty in everything else we do, and we're just as guilty because for every abortion, there's a, there's a guy who's maybe supporting it, encouraging it, or paying for it. Nobody gets a pass today. Because we live in a place where it's about celebrating me and what I want at any cost. And when something's tough or difficult or broken, you throw it away and you upgrade throw it away and you upgrade. You throw it away and you upgrade. So what are we supposed to do with this? What, what are we supposed to do today? Number one is we participate. We get involved. God help us if we think that just taking some mental stand against an issue and then passing judgment on everyone on the other side somehow honors him. Do something. Vote. Write people in the legislator. Adopt. Support those who are struggling. Get involved and do whatever it is that you can do don't just sit back and think because you sit on this side of the aisle of that decision that you're somehow better than those sitting on the others. Since virtually day one of Element Church, we've supported an organization here in Aurora uh, called Colorado Family Life Center. Um, as a matter of fact, the first public event we ever did as Element Church uh, was a 5K race. If you used to live in the neighborhood, you might remember when we did a 5K race and um, We didn't do it to make money, um, which if you ever want to make money, don't host a 5K, but that's a side note. Um, We didn't do it to make money. We actually did it because we, one, we say this every time we do an event outside, we always tell our community, we do these kinds of things because we want to make this community a better place to live. We wanted to provide an atmosphere for people to get out and socialize and do what they love, um, but also, a little selfishly, we want to get the name of the church out there. We had never done anything as a church. We didn't have a public service. No one had ever heard of us. We thought this would be a great way to get our name out of there, and all the proceeds from that race went to the Colorado Family Life Center, and that was in 2013. Um, I am good friends with the, the president. Um, I've good friends with several of the people who have rotated off and on the board of directors at this organization. And this organization is committed to supporting those who need it most when it comes uh, to having a child, bearing a child, raising a child. They are located right next to Hinkley High High School. And probably their number one client is teenage mothers. And they provide everything they can. Uh, They provide financial counseling. You know, what happens when you get a job? What are you supposed to do with that money to support a family? How do you take care of a baby? How do you change a diaper? Where are you supposed to go to get diapers? And so as as mother, and they don't have to be teenage mothers. They don't have to be unwed. I mean, there are, there are married couples who, who go through this, and you don't have to have a certain income. Like, most of them are lower income, but you could be of any income. And every time you go and you complete a class, whether it's um, a financial class or a child raising class. I mean, they have all of these sources. You get like pretend money. And then they have a store where you can take that pretend money and use it to buy um, baby formula and diapers and all these things. And this is a great organization that is literally a five minute drive from here. It's, it's uh, right off of Chambers between 6th and Colfax. It's right next to Hinkley High School. It's in the basement of a church that's sitting right there. They are desperate for volunteers. You like finances? Come, come, help teach a class. Come coach. If you're interested in wanting to know how to get involved, and ha- you would love to sit down across the table from a young couple, a, a young teenage mother, and provide love and support, um, they're doing a training this Saturday at Colorado Hospital uh, from eight thirty to noon. If you want more information, if you want to get involved. Um, I'm gonna. I'll help you get connected and, and signed up. And they're gonna talk about this is what we do. This is how we do it. They need women. They need men. They do special women's only classes. They do special men's only classes. Do something to make a difference. To get involved. Don't think that just because you took a mental stand, that you've somehow honored God with that. Participate. And number two is pray. And I didn't list this number two because it is number two, but this is how I wanted to close today. This is bigger than a policy or Supreme Court decision. This isn't about scientific facts or logic. This is deeper. It goes to the heart of people and our society, and we need God to do what only He can do. And we need to beg Him to do it. Because for the last 40 years, it it was 60 million lives at stake. That's double anything Hitler accomplished. We desperately need God to intervene. Not only do we pray for him to intervene, we pray for ourselves. And we pray for forgiveness. Maybe you walk in this morning and you're already against abortion and you've already voted against it or you've got some kind of bumper sticker, yard sign. Let me tell you this. We need to pray for forgiveness for indifference. Because far too long, maybe us as individuals and corporately, we haven't done much as a Christian church in this country to take a stand against it. We pray for forgiveness because of the judgmental attitudes, the harsh words, and the self-righteousness that you feel inside because you haven't been involved in abortions. Because the reality is you didn't control when you were born. You had no control over where you were born or who your parents were or whether or not you were born into a dangerous and abusive environment. You weren't born, you didn't get to choose what values and, and uh, things that your parents taught you from a young age. And for maybe a lot of people in this room, You didn't necessarily control the fact that your premarital sexual activity didn't result in a pregnancy and you never had to make the decision. More than people who blatantly sinned, what Jesus got angry over and called out more than anything else was self-righteousness, thinking that because of what you haven't done, you're better than someone else. And so even if you walked in today against the issue already, there's still forgiveness that we need to pray for. Maybe you walked in here today for it. And you need to pray for forgiveness. For lending your voice, your vote, your money, your encouragement, your moral support, and your actions to the murder of human beings created in the image of God as equally as you were. Pray for forgiveness that you have elevated the autonomous self as more supreme than the one who created you in his image. One in four women have had abortions, which means statistically several of you in here have. And and I don't know if you have or haven't, and and, uh, I'm not asking for you to let me know. Uh, But if someone does find out, or you felt the need to share that with a leader here for prayer, uh, we're not putting scarlet letters on anyone in this room. None of us walk out that door today righteous because of our own deeds. I don't know how much you know about the Bible and people within the Bible. And we believe abortion is murder. But murder does not disqualify you from God's love, grace, power, or his desire to use you in a mighty way. You heard of a man named Moses? He's a murderer killed a guy in cold blood out of anger. And God used him in a mighty way to set his people free. And Moses is one of the great fathers of the Israelite nation and of our faith. King David. We read several of his writings today about the image of God and the way that God has formed us and knit us together. David, murderer. Not a murderer before he met God, but even knowing right and wrong and understanding what it means to be made in the image of God, committed murder. But it didn't stop God from using him in a mighty way and for him to one day carry the title a man after God's own heart. Saul of Tarsus, murder, devoted every ounce of passion and energy that he had to destroying and killing and approving the killing of Christians. But God wasn't through with him because it wasn't disqualifying. God's murder isn't more powerful than God. God changed Saul's heart and he changed his name. To Paul. And Paul went on to write two thirds of your New Testament. So we pray for forgiveness. But as the Bible teaches, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. None of us sitting in this room are innocent today. Our levels of involvement and in guilt vary. But there is no sin more powerful. What Jesus accomplished on the cross. God does not push shame on you, He pushes conviction so you'll acknowledge where you messed up and repent of it so that you can turn back to Him. All of us need to ask for forgiveness today. All of us need to repent. And at wherever you are in the stage today, we make the commitment to do something, to get involved, to participate, and to pray. Because all of us were creating in God's image and all of us deserve the opportunity to live. And we should fight for that opportunity for all of God's creation. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time this morning together. And God, this is by no means an easy topic to talk about or listen to. And God, more than anything, we want to be a people who honor you. God, we want to be a church that honors you and and does what brings you honor. Would you help us in this place, in this moment today, bring you honor? God, I confess that I am unrighteous. I am not perfect. I am not innocent. Lord, would you forgive me for my indifference? Would you forgive me of my self-righteousness? God, would you forgive us teach us what it means to be made in the image of God and help us to celebrate humanity and to fight for the dignity and the equality of all those you've created in your image. I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed today. And, um, this is one of those messages that it makes it hard to, uh, to turn into a closing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross his blood was spilled so that you and I could be forgiven there is nothing in your life more powerful than the blood of Christ I don't, I don't care what's on your mind today whether it has to do with abortion or it has to do with something completely different it is not more powerful than than the blood of Christ shed on the cross. There is nothing you can do to disqualify you from God's love, His grace, His power, and His desire to move and work in your life. That happens when you come to recognize your own sinfulness, your own inability to save yourself, And your acknowledgement that Christ has done what you couldn't do. Shed his blood so you could be forgiven. If you've never done that today, would you call upon him? Would you ask him, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for all my sin. Just like you used Moses and David and Saul. Would you change my heart and use me in a mighty way? God, use us. We want your power to be manifested in and through our lives. As we come to you today and stand and worship, we celebrate not our goodness, but yours. We celebrate that all of our forgiveness, the removal of our shame and guilt, and that empowerment comes because, Jesus, you you paid it all. You paid the price. Would you be honored by what we sing, what we say, what we do, what we think, what we pray and hear this morning?